Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Monroe Bergdorf, where I ask her, how are you lighting up the runway for representation? And before we get going, everyone, I just want to say... Thank you so much for listening to Getting Curious. Thank you so much for supporting Getting Curious and our team. We work so hard to bring this show to you week after week, and we love doing it. We love you for supporting us. And I just never really hop on and say that at the top. And I just wanted to say, I thank you and I love you. And thank you so much for your support. And this week, we have such an incredible guest, Monroe Bergdorf. Yay! Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and we've got such a fucking gorgeous episode for you not to cuss right off the top, but it really is just so gorgeous. And without any further ado, welcome Monroe Bergdorf, who is a model and social activist if you've been living under several rocks. Earlier this year, I got to be on her podcast, The Way We Are. Today, she's the guest on ours. Honey, how are you, Monroe? I'm so good. How are you? Really good. So obviously, spoilers out, you're British. Uh, you I'm are. British. Fact, Brit- yeah, you got the British accent. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so ha- first of all, this is going to be coming out in Pride. So happy Pride. Happy Pride, everybody. I would say it's in our strongest pride ever on Getting Curious. We've been exploring like what queer joy in nature looks like. So we've studied, honey, like queer mycology. Do you know what that is? No. It's like queer mushrooms. It turns out like mushrooms have like, like literally like dozens of genders and like several ways of reproducing. So they're a little bit queer and like cool and like shows us like a different biological way that like, is it the way that, you know, we are, which is just so interesting. And we've, we've gotten to explore like queer farming and just like a lot of cool queer stuff that we're living for. But before we get into that, what are you doing for Pride this year? Like, what are you excited for? What, like, what happened? What are you doing? I'm definitely marching, 100% marching. And I haven't marched for a while, actually. And I think many of us actually have. Um, But this will be like the first in-person LGBT Pride that I've been to for a while. I've been to Trans Pride. I know what I'm doing for Trans Pride. I'm definitely going to be speaking at Trans Pride because there's a lot to talk about. There's so much going on in the UK when it comes to trans rights and people trying to take them away, trying to put gates in, um, you know, in our, in our way, trying to put in some glass ceilings in there. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to kind of really summarize um, and it's really community focused and it's a really great vibe. It's always a great vibe. Well, I think that's a really good plan. I think one thing that I like, I'm all about like duality about how like two things can be true at once. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like for me, it's like, I like to celebrate pride like all the time. I think that it's, it is year round. It's an all the time thing. And also at the same time, I think that June is like a great time for us to like have more outreach and be more vocal. And just cause it's like, we can't really get that much attention from the straights at other times. So, or the sisters and the straights from other times. So like, let's take it while we can get it and try to like expand that worldview. But I do think that for us as queer people, it's really important for us to like connect in nature because so many people are like just giving us so much to like 
not feel fulfilled about and not feel ingrained in. So, like, mm. what's your relationship with nature? Like, do you get off on, like, some gardening vibes? Do you get off on, like, going to, like, a little park? Is it, like, hard to get into nature vibes in London? Because it's, like, the British concrete yeah. jungle, darling. It's not too hard to get into nature. And, I mean, I've got lots of pets. We've definitely had this conversation. We've both got our own fab vibes. So that is, like, my little slice of nature. Having, like, my babies. You can probably hear them walking around in the background. Um, but also, I live right next to, like, a national park. Um, and London's pretty green if you know where to go. Um, like places like Hampstead Heath, like Hyde Park, it is very green. But I mean, I grew up in the countryside, so I was surrounded by nature and I didn't really have a lot of friends. So I tended to just kind of be on my own in nature reserves and just like splashing around in like rivers and creeks. And it's really where I found like my solace from being bullied or, you know, not feeling like my parents were listening to me. It's just really where I kind of went to escape. So nature's always been that escape for me. I love our garden, but in like 22 to 30 minute chunks. Like I'm not trying to go out there for like, you know, five hours and like do the most, like my husband more. I'm like, can you go build like the cage or like deal with like the really big thing, but like little baby tasks. You've got an elaborate garden, honey. I was like, where do they have the time? <laughs> it's him, honey. He's British. Like, I feel like these British people, they love these gardens. So he's just out there toiling around in that garden. So I'll come out and make like a little cameo. But it is just such a like relaxing thing to be in nature. Will you like go on a hike? Do you like to still go creaking at this point? Like, will you like, like, are you like, that sounds fun. Are you like, no, I kind of like I've been there, done that. I would definitely say over time I've got more precious and I'm not necessarily, um, you know, I'm quite high maintenance. So I'm not really looking to, you know, start climbing some mountains and stuff like that. But I used to. So I know that I can. And I, I spent like a month in Africa climbing Mount Maru. So, you know, I, I can do it and I do like to do it every now and again. What? You, I feel like you can't just like breeze over that comment without like telling yeah. us about it. So when does this ha- like Monroe goes to Africa 20... 2004. 2004. And you climbed a mountain in Africa. Um, yes. Was it scary? Yes, it was. But I was like of that age where you don't have much of like a fear index. You, you're not really, you know completely like I was like what 18 years old and I didn't really understand how dangerous it was um but it it was it was very surreal it was one of the most beautiful trips I've ever taken and just you know getting to stand at the top of a mountain which literally took like multiple days almost a week to get up this mountain and um yeah I just felt so much satisfaction but I I don't necessarily um do extreme nature um pursuits anymore um I do like to go to the beach. <laughs> I love the beach. I love, love the, beach. the beach. That's kind of like my nature. I love the ocean. And I was just in the south of France, actually. And we kind of did some climbing. Um, my boyfriend lives in the south of France. So I'm out there quite a lot. At Nice? In Marseille. Oh, I don't even know that word. And it's just gorgeous. Wait, so you haven't seen the Downton Abbey movie yet, have you? The new one? No. Can I just tell you, there's this whole, like, South of France, like, jaunt that is so cute. And, like, the like the early 1930s, I'm just saying, you should watch it. We did an episode with some of the, the cast members from, like, we're a little bit obsessed over here on Getting Curious. Amazing. The movie just 
I'm not even getting paid for this. I'm just saying it's worth it. It's the hair, <laughs> the makeup. It's, it's really I good. The advice. I definitely so, check it out. So I, I, I also feel like with climbing mountains, like you kind of just said why I can't get into it because like to take seven days to get mm-hmm. up to something, it's like, I never want to stay anywhere for more than 20 minutes. It's not. I mean, like, in my childhood, I really was very in nature. Like I was part of like the scouts and I would go potholing. And like now the idea of going through a small crack in the floor and crawling around under the ground and not being able to turn around or turn back and like someone behind you and someone in front of you and you're just like in a little tunnel. That's like my idea of hell. So um, I don't really know. I think my parents probably had a big role to play in it. They were like, go outside, play outside. And I'm glad that they did it because I've got, you know, I didn't die. And um, I think it would be much more scary as an adult and I probably never would have done that. So I think it was good that I was pushed to do it at an early age because now I'm like, I'm quite fearless really as an adult. And I think that those kind of experiences definitely helped me to be as fearless as I am sometimes. It's giving me like intrusive thoughts of like, like Monroe on nature, like gorgeous photo shoots, like in like it's giving wheat field, like in like the woods. It's giving like America's next top model, but like Britain's next top model, but international next top model. You know what I'm saying? Beach, woods, mountain, like four mm. seasons. I'm, I'm just don't put me down any holes in the floor. No holes in the floor. That era has passed, darling. Although, do you remember that one episode of America's next top model when they made them be like the seven deadly sins and like yeah. pose in the in a grave. But, but can I just say, like, the hair and makeup on that episode was, like, really good. I'm sorry. Like, it was so good. But I was so fucked up. The one girl that they made do gluttony, they were like, can you, like, sexily eat, like, hamburgers in a grave? And she was like, I guess. Like, they were really doing the most back then. Didn't her, like, her friend just die? And they- it was that episode, because one of the girls okay. had just, her friends had just died. But I don't feel like it was the girl who had to play the part of gluttony okay. with, like, burgers and donuts in the grave. Like, they were throwing, like, burgers and donuts. It was, the early 2000s were a time. Like, we didn't even know. It was really, really wild. I'm actually writing about this in my book when in regards to, like, beauty standards and the idea that everybody had to, you know, strive to be as beautiful as a handful of stereotypes. And I mean, they all were essentially white. They were all cis. They were all straight. The concept of like queer beauty or trans beauty or even black beauty to an extent hadn't really, it wasn't taken seriously. And it was there, you know, there was people that were queer, but just closeted and beautiful. Um, But still the people that got the opportunities, you know, didn't look like, you know, some of the people that are now getting their shine and, you know, rightly so. It's, it was just a really, really weird time. God, um, wait, so part of why we were like doing this like Pride in Nature series and it's, uh-huh. it comes up for me a lot in like in my work and just in my life, I think, and I'm sure that you've dealt with this as well. It's like this idea that like, transness or gender nonconformity is like a new thing or like a new and that's been propagated by people like J.K. Rowling saying you know if I had been like afforded the opportunity when I was young it's like actually J.K. like people were trans then like people have always been trans then it's just like sorry you didn't hear about it in the 70s but like we actually have been here for hundreds of years and but then this other thing of like that it's not natural or that like we aren't like and so that's why we wanted to really explore like queerness in nature because 
shocker, turns out there are totally queer animals. There are totally, like, lots of queerness in the animal kingdom all over the place. Like, we're super duper duper, as natural as they come. Like, sorry, it's not our fault. I think about Alok, who's just, like, a genius, iconic like thought leader, you know, you know, Alok, we love Alok. Yeah. On Alok's Instagram, like when like they'll deal with like a troll or just like a nasty person, they do these like elegant, like gorgeous, like yeah. love letters to people. And they're like, they've got the patience of a saint. <laughs> I look up to that. You're like, when, doing that. <laughs> when people come like that to me, yeah, I'm like, your mom's ugly. You're a dumb. I hope you die young, walk in front of a bus. Your hair sucks. Like your grandma's ignorant. And I hate everybody that ever came from your family. And like, I hope you die and then I block them and then I'm like oh my god I'm Chrissy Teigen oh my god um so like what do you do to you know what do you do uh with people that like are these like just nightmare like Marjorie Taylor you know who that lady is like that Georgian Republican I I was hoping that maybe in the United Kingdom you guys like didn't have to deal unfortunately unfortunately I'm I'm aware of who she is um yeah I mean I used to reply to people that, um, you know, obviously know what they're saying and they they don't want to expand their mind. They don't want to actually have a conversation about it. They just want to double down and, you know, essentially get a rise out of you because they, they love the confrontation of it all. They've got no intention of, you know, understanding the other side of what they um, think. So, um, you know, I, I just don't have any time for it, really. I mean, I don't, I'm not here for the debate. I'm not here to um, sit with somebody who doesn't understand the, um, the gravity of what they're saying and someone as irresponsible um, as, you know, some of the people out there that are actively campaigning for people to um, give birth against their will or, um, you know, abolish healthcare for trans kids or, um, you know, gunning for uh, voter suppression. All of these things are so violent. I'm not going to spend my time um, you know, going back and forth with somebody who is actively invested in dehumanization and violence. It's, it's not something that I want to do with my time or um, my energy, but I definitely applaud people that do, um, especially people with large platforms that use it as an educational tool to show other people about how to have these conversations, because it's a choice for me, you know. I live a life where I I have access to privilege where um, I don't need to have a lot of the conversations that I would be exposed to if I had less privilege. Um, And I am somewhat of a recluse these days. um, And that is intentional just because I've had so many of these conversations before and I really am very protective over my peace and over who is around me um but a lot of people don't have that option you know and I think that um Alok is showing how we can have these conversations, how you can essentially outsmart these people, how you know certain phrases such as pro-life are actually redundant because it's not about being pro-life. It's not about, um, you know, being for 
the living, it's about forcing people against their will to have a child put into the world that they didn't want, that they weren't ready for. And then that child's going to be affected. And then how do you support that child? Do you support that child if they're gay? Do you support that child if they grow up to be trans, if they're black? And, you know, it's like, what is this for? But actually in the US, it doesn't even fucking matter. Just in the end of May, like half of the Republican House of Representatives like voted against funding this emergency order to like get baby formula available because yeah, like, yeah, people yeah, can't find baby. So it's like it doesn't matter if you like are going to grow up to be like a white straight kid or whatever it is. It's like they're like you must have the baby and you're fucked period because like we're going to make sure yeah. that there's no health care, there's no welfare, there's no I mean it's going to disproportionately affect we know that it's it's just for the poor isn't it? It's, it's because the, the rich will find a way and the rich will protect the rich the rich aren't going to go to jail for having an abortion and they will they will find a way to have it. It's about maintaining poverty so that people are desperate, so that people will work for zero hour contracts, so that people will work exploitative hours for massive corporations who pay them pittance. It's, it's really about maintaining the status quo. They want more black babies to harass um, so that when they become young adults, they can stick them in prison. They want more white babies to maintain white supremacy. It's it's about maintaining society as it is. And it's honestly disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I think I couldn't agree with you more. But also it's like, I didn't say this quote, Ashton Marie Preston did, who I'm obsessed with. But she always says, you know, like white supremacy will eat its own young. And even like women who vote for like anti-trans things, thinking that they're protecting things, it actually ends up hurting people that vote for these measures Mm -hmm. in the first place. And that's what I'm trying to like make people or help people understand is that it's like, you are not safe from this. The people that vote for it, 100%, do, you, you know, it's, it's a lie, isn't it? It's um, conservative governments m- make their voters believe that they're going to have a slice of this power that, they, that they're voting for. And it never happens. But because the prejudice that is fostered within that party and the people that follow it and vote for it is so strong, they will essentially vote against their neighbour than form a coalition with their neighbour to get what they actually need. It's, it's about divide and conquer, essentially. If the white working class realise that they've got much more in common with refugees and black people and queer people and queer people and disabled people than they do with the super rich, then we, we would be so much more powerful as a blended community. If we, if marginalized people all came together and realized that marginalization is marginalization. And if it's not one thing, then it'll be the other. If we all came together and fought together, then we would get so much more done. But because the, 1% have divided us and made us vote against each other and fearful of each other. And, you know, thinking that, you know, oh, if I screw so-and-so over, then it will get me up the ladder a little bit further. Didn't work for feminism and it's not going to work ever. You know, all of this, like, you know, turfism and um, anti-trans, transness in the feminist movement, that's not going to get you absolved from the patriarchy. 
do you, why do you think that um why do you think that you know going after trans people is going to empower anybody it it doesn't it doesn't get us any closer to the goal it reminds me of Stacey Abrams who we got to interview on getting curious which was like such an amazing person to get to chat with. But she said the phenomenon that you're referring to, it's like when the top 1% makes the system such as that we're over here fighting for crumbs, but then they are eating this whole cake. So like that trans-exclusionary radical feminism is about like, you know, getting uh, cis women to like attack trans women. But then it's like, missing the wider issue of like the real threat to women's sports is actually like the rampant underfunding of women's sports, the lack of like revenue for professional female athletes that like their male counterparts get, except for we did just in the U S I know that you guys call it football, but like our soccer girls, they got like the same payment as the men. Oh, That's not happening anytime soon over here. Like we tell you. And they deserve it. Cause like they actually like win and stuff like our yeah. women's soccer team actually like, you know, they actually win. And, like, yeah. Like our boys like do not. Uh, so, <laughs> but you know, that's really cool. But that's, what's really the threat to women's sports and like the excellence of women's sports is that it's like underfunded. They're given less resources. Underregulated as well. The amount of abuse that goes on. Sexual abuse. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> Alok also says, I identify as non-binary trans, but if I had been like, you know, someone who like was like wanting to play sports, do you think I'm a threat to gymnastics, honey? Like I am as mediocre as they come, honey. Just to get a participation ribbon would be like my, like my uh, yeah. ceiling. I think it's gaggy that they think that just because we're trans means that we're better. <laughs> There are so many, like, not that good athletes that, yeah. you know, we just want to, like, play. It's like, it's dance team. It's like your junior varsity, like, golf team or whatever. Like, just let people play. Also, it's not just, you know, pro athletes or, um, you know, aspiring athletes. It's literally if someone wants to go down to the swimming pool and swim. You know, the the whole narrative of, you know, gendered um not just gendered spaces, but trans-exclusionary gendered spaces, that this is just a space just for biological women. It stops not only kids participating in sports or adults participating in athletics or, um, you know, professionally. It's literally affecting people feeling like they can even exercise in certain spaces. And in the UK, we are legally allowed to, as trans women and or as trans men or non-binary people, to use the spaces that are in line with our gender identity is literally protected by the Gender Recognition Act. And we've got the most powerful minister in the country, the prime minister, muddying the narrative by prioritizing his personal beliefs that cisgender women should have women-only spaces and framing it as if trans women don't already have access to these spaces. I've just written an article, actually, um, for Glamour magazine talking about all of the mistruths and um, misconceptions about the trans community and about how, you know, all of these things that people are so fearful of us gaining in terms of... um, what what that means for cisgender women's rights we've had for decades and nothing's happened it's just being weaponized with intent to not only cause harm to the community but also to again get votes by conservative voters 
If anyone is listening to this that is pissed off and maybe you're like a cis ally, honey, or maybe you're like in the queer community and you're also pissed. I have this like gorgeous, like revenge daydream about what we're talking about. Ready? I need someone who's like got Aaron Brockovich like data retrieval ability. Like you are going into the archives. Okay. We are researching per year. How many, this isn't like that cheerful, but you know, Morbid's my new favorite podcast. So whatever. We are researching how many cis women are attacked by men, mm-hmm. men mm-hmm. in these rest stops and bathrooms. And then let's see how many cis women are attacked by trans women in bathrooms. And I have a sneaking suspicion, honey, that it's going to be like hundreds to zero. I wrote in this article that, you know, every single community is going to have um, you know, somebody that plays into the stereotype that acts in a violent way, but they don't represent the whole community. So, like, we wouldn't say that every single cisgender white woman is a Myra Hindley. Who's Myra Hindley? Is she your guys' oh, like... God. She's, like, one of the most prolific um, child killers in the UK. Oh, she killed him. She buried children in the Yorkshire Moors. A lady serial killer? A lady serial killer. But we're not saying that all cisgender white women are lady serial killers. Just like we're not saying that all white cis boys are potential school shooters. Do you know what I mean? It's Because that would be unfair to place that burden on an entire cross-section of society. It's, you know, there's always going to be people that are violent from every single community, but then to take that very small minority and then tar an entire community with that brush is violent. But the real crux of the issue rests on the fact that the UK law says trans women are women. If you legally change your gender in the eyes of, you know, you don't change your gender, you just are who you are. But in the eyes of the law, if you change your gender and your paperwork and all that kind of stuff, then you're a woman. So that's that. But we've got literally the prime minister calling trans women biological men and refusing to use the word transgender women. Yes. And remember when we were talking earlier and you were like, um, you know, we need people to realize kind of like, like to help their neighbor, like they'll vote against their neighbor for like this like slice of imaginary privilege. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think, you know, folks like Alok and myself less eloquently. And I know that you are out saying this too, but it's like these type of laws encourage the government to look at everyone's pussy and everyone's fucking, actually everyone's genitals, their vaginas, their dinglings, they're all of them, honey, like everywhere in between, honey, you got whatever you got going down there. So what do you want, Boris? What do you want fucking in these bathrooms? Do you want an enforcer? Do you want like uh, Aunt Lydia from Handmaid's Tale who stands in the front of every men's and women's doorway and you have to like lift up your outfit? Well, exactly. You can't just, you know, single out someone on suspicion of them being trans because that's literal discrimination. But that's what they're literally doing with these bills. That's what they want to do. It's not actually enforceable. 
But in the U.S., like these like anti-trans sports bills, like, so how are we going to enforce that? When a team sport decides Mm. that one of those kids on their team they suspect is trans, who decides that? Are we subpoenaing the birth certificate? Are we taking pictures of genitals? Are Mm. we, what are we doing? Does the coach, like, who enforces that? Like, we're literally inviting the government to look under the fucking pants of our youth with these bills, with the anti-trans sports bills. Then with these bathroom bills, how do you enforce that? And also it acts like we don't know the intersex people exist. We know that Mm -hmm. 2% of the population is intersex. So this imaginary enforcement of these boundaries of like men and women is also like, doesn't even reflect nature. No, it it doesn't reflect nature at all. It's, you know, and intersexism can take so many different forms, so many different forms. It's again, an umbrella term, Um, just like being trans is an umbrella term. There are so many different ways of being and just to force humanity into two different sections is not only inaccurate or undoable, but also it's it's cruel because you're not allowing people to understand themselves fully. It's, it is, it's indoctrination in its truest sense. So... You know, sometimes I just feel like I fucking hate it here, but it is goddamn pride and we're going to experience queer joy (laughs) right now. No, we are. So here's the thing about you that I'm obsessed with. You're a model in not one, but two ways. You are a literal model, like a literal like model. And you're also like a role model, which we love. Um, You can talk about the role model things because we're obsessed with role model things. But like, I also do just love like fashion and you are, can I just say everyone like not to like, because I'm trying to do this new thing where I don't come on to like so many of our guests by complimenting them all the time. But you know, you are like the most breathtaking person. And with this fucking ponytail that you're giving me today, the face that you're serving, what has been like your favorite photo shoot you ever did? Like what's the favorite thing you've done so far modeling wise? And what's the thing that you really want to do? And I'm going to put a caveat on that. Like if social media like didn't exist. Because you already did Teen Vogue or it was British Vogue. British Vogue, Teen Vogue. I've done both. I've done both. Ah! Which one did you think you couldn't possibly pick a favorite because all the images were so stunned? Um, I can't pick a favorite. I mean, I'm British. A British Vogue is always, um, you know, I, I mean, I, and I love Edward. Edward's like my uncle. So it's, you know, whenever Edward calls, it's always a pleasure. So I'll, I'll always say the most important thing and the most exciting thing that you can do in fashion is British Vogue. What was it like? shooting like was it like was it like a three-day thing like a two-day thing did you like 18 looks like how did you like how did you approve the looks it was one day and um i shot it with um two of my best friends so um it was yeah it was a really really special day and i've done a few things with british folk um but yeah it's always uh, amazing to work with edward and um i love him i think he's is incredible what he's done with british vogue in terms of um, turning it from something extremely exclusive and white and cis um and um just quite uninspired actually um i think that he really took it into um you know present day he he made it into something that everyone can see themselves within and um you know fashion is meant to be for everybody and he's really created a magazine that reflects the world as it is and um i've got so much 
you know, love for Edward. And I was at his wedding. And let me tell you that this was the most incredible wedding that I've ever been to. I'm not going to drop anything because it was not my tea to spill. But like, he's just an, a magical person. And his husband is just, Alec um, is um, a lovely, lovely human being. They're just the best couple. And it, I mean, it's still like, it's still like, I mean, sheet to pieces. Like, it's not British folks' fault that it's like really chic. So it's like, it's like, it's more like inclusive, but it's still like hella chic. Like, it's hella chic. Yeah, like, I think so it's defined what chic is. And I think chic isn't just, you know, a skinny French girl um, with pearls and, you know, a, a cunty blowout. It's, you know, chic can be anything, uh, you know. And when I was growing up, I didn't see chic black trans women in covers of magazines or in um, the magazine in an editorial. I didn't see, you know, um, plus size women um, like Paloma or Precious Lee strutting down the runways. You know, it's, it's a whole new world and it's amazing because there's going to be so many kids that grow up wanting to be more like Paloma because that is somebody who represents them in how they are rather than telling them who they should be. And I think that that is such a powerful, powerful thing. Um, You know, if I had seen, you know, um, Black trans women like MJ, if I had seen India on screen, if I had seen Dominique on screen, if I had seen all of these amazing um, trans women and non-binary peoples completely slaying their industries, I would feel so much less scared about being myself and about, you know, who I will be in the future. I was so scared of myself. I wasn't just scared of the world. I was literally scared of myself. I was like, oh my God, I'm not only growing into uh, a young Black man and what other people see that as I'm not even that and I don't understand what it means if I don't transition I don't understand what it means if I do transition because there's so little representation out there that I I just felt very very lost so representation is so 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 important and it's mostly very very proud to be living in this era Mm, and be part of this change you I mean, and you've been like a leader of this change with modeling though. Is there like, is there like a bucket list thing that you haven't done that you still want to do? Oh, I've got loads that I want to do. Loads. I've shot for American Vogue once, but um, it was an editorial, but I, I think I, I, I really want like a big American Vogue moment. I, I want multiple covers. Do you know what I want? I want like, not at all like her story at all. Like, so this is like, maybe not the best analogy, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Have you ever seen Gia? On like with Angelina Jolie, like the story of Gia. Yes, yes, my cat's called Gia. <laughs> the only part that I want, like just the one part with like that montage of all the covers, like when mm. she, like, but I want that for like the duration of your career, where it's just like cover, 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 like cover, cover, cover just, uh, just, just. Is there like a photographer who you're like really wanting to work with? So I definitely um, want to work with um, with Tim Walker. I'm obsessed with Tim Walker's work and I have been since my teen years. Um, I haven't shot with Nick Knight for a very, very long time. And um, we did an editorial for another magazine, um, which was one of my first big editorials um, in, I think, 2015. Um, So I really want to work with Nick again. Um, 
well, I obviously want to do the Met Gala. Does that count as modeling? It's, it's yes. It, it's it something. So the Met Gala, um, American Vogue, obviously. Um, I would love, in terms of like, I mean, I don't necessarily have dreams to work with brands because it's, you know, I kind of think that that's like kind of problematic a little bit. Like I'd rather work with like artists and the, obviously designers are artists, but I think when it goes into like a branding kind of thing, but I'm obsessed with Donatella Versace and I would love to just do anything with Donatella. I mean, even if I could just go out and collect her coffee, it would be an honor, <laughs> to be honest. That's like when I'm like, can I pay Beyonce to be like a production assistant? Like, or can I like pay to be like the hairdressing assistant? Like yeah. I will, I could even like lay over a puddle if you want to like just straight up walk yeah, on just me. Step like on I'll me. just, but you can't do that because you're a literal model. So you can't like, you gotta like must protect the goods, honey. You can't like, I guess you could lay face up if you wanted, but Beyonce would never walk on you, honey. You're like, a, like you, she would never do that to you. Whereas like, I, I really would like pay her to like, just like, do you want to walk on my fucking like stomach, Beyonce? Like I'll do anything for you. In an essay for the Queer Bible, you write that for parents of trans kids, it's never really about clothes. It's never really about makeup. It's about not understanding and also being afraid of what society is going to think about your child. Mm. <sighs> Hello. I, de- I In my first book, Over the Top, I talked about like when I discovered evening gowns and like just loving them so much and like wanting to be in them. And then the first time my dad walked in on me in an evening gown and it was like being put into like a dryer like because like the evening gown got like ripped off me so fast and I was like I mean just being shaken all around it's like you don't and like I knew really quick that I had like fucked up for him and so then I had to like do it in secret like my auntie would be like okay there's 10 minutes if you want to put it on but then we got to take it off because there's like this thing so but that's so true like it wasn't about being it wasn't about the clothes it's like what that meant for the family like what something like that could mean for our family and reading that was really um you just really lay bare so much of like what that really, what that truth really is. So what yeah. is that, what does that acceptance process look like for you in your life? And even, you know, you've been in the public eye now for a while. You, and when you were saying that there just wasn't the representation, like what does that mean to you that you've navigated this and have like forged this path and hoping that it can kind of like, do you feel like that can help some or like it's helping families like not have that shame spiral I do um I think that I mean I do get a lot of messages from trans parents and actually I was um I was at a little spa with my boyfriend a few months ago and I was just like we were just having a dinner and like having a laugh and um I was talking to him about like how stressful it is, like kind of being a representative for your community and like what comes with that. And then there was a woman that was sat next to me and um, she just turned to me and she says, I know I shouldn't do this, but I just wanted to say that somebody that I know has a trans kid and all of the work that you're doing has helped her so immensely with um, understanding her child. So please don't feel like it's all for nothing. And then a few weeks after that, I interviewed um, a, a, a young actress called Yasmin Finney, who's in a new show called Heartstopper on Netflix. Yeah, of course. Her star is just going up and up and up. 
And she was, she told me that when she was 14, she was watching me on Good Morning Britain debate Piers Morgan. And that was the first time that she saw any representation um, and somebody that she could see herself in. And those two things just really stuck with me because I guess it's hard to see the impact of the work that you do because, you know, I just kind of keep myself to myself. I do my work. I hang out with my friends. I see my family. I hang out with my boyfriend and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I've had all my party phase and I'm not really out and about anymore, really. So just kind of knowing that I'm having a positive impact to some people in the world is amazing. So I feel proud to be, part of that and I feel proud to have been able to do that um and what was the other question do you feel like some of that work can help to like lessen the shame spiral of like family yeah I do because you know if I I wrote that because I was thinking about what my coming out experience was like to my family I came out at 14 and um I was so angry at my mum because I thought that she was going to take it better than my dad. And my dad took it not so great, but my mum was really quite bad with it. And looking back, I can tell that it's because she was petrified about what being queer meant and the life that she thought that I was going to have because of it. And she was more worried about how other people would treat me than she was about the fact that I was even queer. Um, So when, you know, a kid is overtly effeminate and parents are trying to make them not be, I think that sometimes the worry isn't necessarily the fact that they are effeminate. It's how they worry about how the world is going to treat their kid because of it and the attachment to what is feminine. Then that goes into makeup, that goes into clothes. So it's not necessarily the fact that there's anything wrong with this. It's the worry and the understanding that we live in a culture that hates queer people and that hates women. And anything feminine, you know, is within that bracket. And I also think for parents, it's like, you know, I know for my mom, it was like, She's like, oh my God, it means you might burn in the fiery pits of hell. So she started like leaving all these books on like my bedside table, like openly gay, openly Christian. Like she just was like really worried. Like she's like, how can you like, but it's like for parents of trans youth, of queer youth, specifically trans youth, the world, I think that there is a lot of fear around like, what does this mean? Like my kid's going to have such a harder life. What could it mean for the, what could it mean for our family? But it's like, because it could be that it's going to be a harder life. That means that you need to be even more of a cheerleader and like not make it harder. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just really lifting you up in your experience and thank you for the bravery of sharing mm. it and sh- and making a roadmap for other people to look to and get inspiration from because it really is hard and I think when like I always think about like the reason that we don't necessarily see how much like of the good work that we do is because like I compare it to hairdressing and that like you can do 50,000 really good haircuts but the second you fuck up one fringe trim or like take someone's haircut too short or take out too much hair and they're like oh my god like I don't like it that's what goes on Yelp that's what you're going to hear about it's the negative stuff it's like the positive stuff it's like people aren't going to be like 
it just doesn't feel as threatening when people are like, you're helping me versus like, you fucked me up or whatever. So it's like, I feel like it just sticks in our minds more some of the negativity. And I'm really glad that you can know how much impact you're making because you are making really good at so much important impact. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the what ifs from people who just haven't had the exposure to um, either, you know, queer youth or trans youth um, and the worry, it's really important that they're plugged in and that, you know, that we're all educating ourselves because it's that education that really quiets that voice. You know, when I came out as um, gay, when I was 14, my mom was pretty sure that I was going to, you know, catch HIV and that would be a death sentence. My mom was pretty sure that I was never going to be able to um, get married or have children and then I would die alone. Like all of these things aren't true. And once we educate ourselves on, you know, the way that the world actually is today and the way that, you know, you can live a life and you're going to be much happier if you are not only yourself and being yourself, but you, if you are encouraged to do so and if you have a, an effective support system. So, um, yeah, I'm all about, um, you know, making people aware of the services that are there to support the trans community and not only the trans community, but the people in our lives, because we can't do it alone. It's really, really important that we all have support systems, that we, um, you know, have family units and whether or not that's chosen family or biological family. It's really important that we have people around us that understand what we're going through so that the what ifs don't creep in. Because you start to believe that as as an individual as well. You're like, oh, well, maybe I am. And then I was petrified after that conversation with my mom. I was like, well, what if I'm going to die? What if I'm going to die alone? What if no one's ever going to love me? What if, you know, I'm going to lose all of my family and then not have any support? And then I'm, you know, going to have to, you know, not achieve anything. And do you know what I mean? It's just like a never ending spiral. So Mm. yeah, we, we can, we can stop that from happening. We just need to educate ourselves. And you're doing such important work on that. So I'm going to have to do like a wrap around because I need to hear about what's happening with you. And I know they only have a few minutes left, but before I do that, two really fast things. One, fuck Pierce Morgan. I wanted to ask you more about like what that was like, but I'm not going to go into it because like just fuck him and we hate him and just fuck him. And I'm so sorry that you had to battle him, but I know that you got some good, like, did you get like a good, like, fuck you, but what you could say on Wake Up Written? I never like to just say fuck you. I, I like to kind of say it with Be my eyes clever. and then you see like, yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, with people like Pierce, he just likes to stir the pot and he likes to get a rise out of people when you don't give that to him, then you've... I don't, I don't want to waste the last three minutes on him because I got to talk about your future work. And then also that thing I was just going to say really fast is I love your activism. I love it so much. I love what you do. And also, I just... I, I think it's like my PTSD from watching like America's Next Top Model or something. I just... When you said cunt blow dry, I just... I just want to see you giving cunt blow dry like all over the place. I just think... You are the most stunning fucking person. Like, I mean, inside, yes. But also as like a superficial, like dumb bitch queen that I am. Yes. You're just like so fucking stunning. And the way that you walk and move, like, I just, I just want to see you continue to like obliterate the modeling world. Okay. Now moving into what you're doing in the queer Bible, you also share your love for Paris is burning iconic. Everyone has to watch it. Some of the most important work of like cinematic documentary history ever. What other culture do you look for for inspiration? I think the most amazing thing about the time that we're living in is that we are so 
that it's so easy to gain access into other people's worlds. Even with TikTok, the amount of different kinds of people that you will literally be exposed to just by scrolling through TikTok. It's like a window into so many different worlds. But I think that we we can't allow that to just be, allow it to be that temporary. I think it's really important to you know make sure that you're diversifying your feed, diversifying your friendship group as well, making sure that you, the people that you hang around with, the people in your life aren't all of the same experience I think it's so important to you know educate yourself on so many different cultures and you know keep learning learn about history as well not just about you know the way that things are learn about where they came from and how we got to this point because then you can understand the future as well because if you forget the past then it happens again so um yeah I I'm just all all about just expanding my worldview and challenging myself in you know, also identifying my ignorance because we're all ignorant as fuck. You know, it's it's really important to understand that we we don't know anything. There's so many different cultures in the world that we've never even heard of. There's still species of animals that we haven't discovered. You know, we think that we know everything. We absolutely don't. So um, I think that that's a really empowering um, just way to view the world is that we're all ignorant as fuck. <laughs> and then final question this way. We're so excited to read your new book. It's coming out next year. Can you give people a preview? What's the inspiration behind the book? And do we know when it's coming out yet so that we can like pre-order and get all up in there? Yeah. Must make bestseller. So it comes out next spring. I'm handing in the final draft in two weeks without fail. <laughs> Otherwise I will be killed. Uh, I'll go missing somewhere over the Atlantic. So um, yeah, um, it comes out in the UK and in America at the same time. So um, that's why it's probably taken a little longer. And also I wrote the whole book and then I rewrote it because I hated it. So <laughs> it happens. It happens to the yeah. best of us. Um, I'm, I'm so proud of it now, though. I'm so proud of it. And also in terms of the fashion that you were talking about, we've got two very exciting um, things that I can't talk about because NDA. Um, but keep an eye out. Does it rhyme with bovers? Like I, covers or like I'm not saying don't don't please because I can't say anything. <laughs> oh my god! Can you just DM me it? Whenever I I'm like blink twice if it's just kidding. Um, Monroe, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your time with us and your beautiful energy and just like I feel like you gotta follow Monroe if you're not already. We love the gram. You have like varying activity levels on there but like i've never regretted for not even one millisecond my follow what do you mean varying activity levels i mean sometimes i don't use it <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry i get really bored of social media sometimes i just hide i'm just like i'm not doing this for like two weeks i just like love everything about your social i really do and i always have like Thanks. i always have i, I think most people so do but I it's good to be it. like you know sought after and like elusive like a jungle cat and you like leave them wanting more i get it. i love it but where do people follow you like to like find all of your new articles like do they just have to like follow the or do you put that on twitter or something i don't have twitter the only social media that i've got is instagram mm -hmm. i just deleted everything else just what well, i didn't delete, i deleted it all a long time ago i really don't actually like social media so um i try to live in the present as much as possible so i just got instagram so just follow me on instagram it's just at monroe bergdorf you were saying you know it's hard to tell how much you've done when you're on the mountain because you're doing it you have like breathtaking presence 
Oh, like really? on camera, oh, yeah, like on camera and in real life. So I just don't, because don't forget that. I need you in my pocket, just like reminding me, like like this because it's 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 lovely. Thank you. I hope you can feel it because it's like almost from, like I want to like quit my job and become your manager. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like not that you need one because you're doing really good, but I just like I want to like kick down someone's door for her. But also the window, yeah. I think you're going to be very proud of me in terms of, you know, the, the next few months. Because you're the face of a new cosmetics company. Stop it. No. So this, this, um, this year has been like my rest year because I really burnt out last year. I had a mm. really tough time uh, because I was just like working, 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 just put myself in the back burner completely and then burnt out. But like next year and in a couple of months, there's some things that are very exciting. So, um, yeah, we got a lot to look forward to. We will wait. We'll be patient. And I love that you're setting that example because I need that too. I was like really burnt out adjacent and I've like recently prioritized self-care and like actually taking care of myself. Yeah. So maybe you put that energy out in the world. So I love you so much. I know you got a dash. Thank you so much for giving us your time. We love you so much. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Monroe Bergdorf. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 